everyone, you're most welcome to the Empowerment Minutes podcast. This is Maureen Quende, your podcast host, learning leader, researcher, speaker, and leadership coach. I'm so excited about our special guest today, and her name is Melissa Lambert. Melissa is the lead instructional designer of Change by Design and also an instructional designer with Camden Property Trust. So uh, thank you so much, Melissa, for honoring our invitation. Just to give you a kind of a, a background, Melissa and I met through uh, my mentor, Dr. Ebers, and it happened that when Sue spoke so highly of Melissa, how much of an IS, ISD whiz, I mean, she is, she's a nerd, you, you're gonna find out very soon. I just had to meet her and get to know her. And of course, you know, give you the opportunity to meet her as well. And Sue was right. Melissa is so multi-talented and smart. And we'll get to find out more about her, what she's up to in the field today. So once again, you're welcome on the show. So Melissa, do you want to tell us about yourself and uh, about your L&D journey? Yes, um, thank you. Uh, it's wonderful to be here and to share some thoughts. Um, so my roots are actually in learning theory. I started out in cognitive psychology and then worked my way to instructional design where it was love at first sight. Um, from there, I spent some time freelancing and also working in the business environment. Uh, actually, right now I'm doing both. On my evenings and weekends, I freelance with Change by Design. And during the day, I work as an instructional designer with Candid Property Trust. Wow, you're such a busy lady. <laughs> During the day, you, you do this, and you know, at nighttime, you do that. So that's that's great. I mean, that's the beauty of our field, right? To be able to contribute and uh, leverage your skills. So, so did you know from the get go that you were going to be an instructional designer? You know, many people get in the field accidentally. For me, that was the case. You know, I used to work for a telecom organization, and you know, accidentally, I was asked to. Uh, you know, getting the training to lead, I think, a training session. And from there, I got excited about it. And then I, I became a corporate trainer. And from there, then I became an instructional designer. So I'm curious, how did you get in the field of uh, learning and development? Well, you know, I had no idea that the instructional design field even existed. Um, like a lot of IDs, I stumbled into instructional design kind of by luck. Um, when having a career discussion with my psychology advisor, he pointed me towards instructional design. I'm really grateful that I happened to be at a university where there was an amazing ID program right in the building across the street. I mean, if it's incredible how once you learn about instructional design, you realize that's something you've been doing all of your life. Yeah. I remember back in high school, we were asked to give a presentation about nutrition and fast food. And instead of just making a PowerPoint, I built an entire cardboard restaurant for the teacher to explore and talking points or videos based on where they were. And that's something I hear from a lot of people who find instructional design. Mm -hmm. Looking back, they were always the go-to person to make posters or, or train new employees or, or coach others. Yes, absolutely. Wow. It looks like in high school, you were already like unconsciously uh this creating like a prototype kind of <laughs> from what you <laughs> describe. Yeah. So that's amazing. All the way in high school. Wow. So I guess you were meant to be in, in, I mean, in this business, I think. Yeah. I mean, it happened that early. You know, I believe there are so many people out there who are just meant to be instructional designers. It's such a, an absolutely interesting field with lots of problem solving and it's creative. 
I, I think if more people knew about this, we would have, everyone would want to be one. Yes, I'm so, you know, proud of, you know, our field and, you know, because you have, you, you wear so many hats, right, in our field. So, you know, today you're doing one thing, tomorrow you're doing something else. You know, it's really diverse. And I think if more people, you know, as you say, they get to know about it, um, they would really enjoy it. Because not until recently, we, where people got really um, more information, got more information about instructional design, especially thanks to COVID. Prior to that, you know, many people were like, what's instructional design? When I tell people what I do, oh, what do you mean? Design, are you a web designer? You know, they ask me all those questions. So I think people are now even getting more educated about our field. And hopefully, you know, uh, I'm seeing many people even transitioning from, you know, into uh, instructional design from teaching from different fields because our field is really growing. So I agree with you. If people could really learn about it and we're kind of like ambassadors, right? As the more we talk about it, that's how people get to find out. And then before you know it, they join us in this uh, very exciting field. So, right. And, and I mentioned earlier on that you, you guys would find out that Melissa is a, is a nerd. She's a whiz and I'll tell you now, can you believe that she simultaneously pursued a master's in instructional design and another master's in cognitive psychology from you know, the prestigious Florida State University. What? I mean, how did you do it? <laughs> it wasn't hard at all. By the time I dual enrolled, I was most of the way through my classes in psychology. So mm -hmm. I was able to fill my course load with ID classes while working on my psychology research. Wow. You know, I have taken you know, courses in cognitive science and uh, cognitive psychology. I can tell you it's not a walk in the park. You know, so I just want to congratulate you on that. You, you make it sound like so easy. Oh, I just took these courses. Believe it or not, you know, I know what I'm talking about. It's not a joke. So I want to congratulate you for doing both at the same time. That's 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 significant. Wow. I'm really, I'm really proud of you. So how do both degrees serve you as an instructional design? You know, they actually work really well together. Cognitive psychology focuses on how people learn, what they pay attention to how to phrase instructions to be clear or not, um, what affects cognitive load. And then with instructional design, I get to apply that knowledge in the real world to solve problems. Mm -hmm. I remember I was working with an eye tracker to see what people look at when they read. And I could see the difference between an engaging story-based content and some less engaging, purely instructional content. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that sticks with you when you're writing a learning module. Before I, I went to, uh, you know, get my master's degree, I initially had a, a bachelor's and a master's in linguistics. And I thought, this is just a complete waste of time. But when, until I took the, um, the master's program, then I could see how the both disciplines relate because linguistics also is about, you know, cognitive science, you, you know, about how people learn. And you can really translate that in our field. So, you know, signing off for both of those to me, it's like, you know, it's like, you want the lottery kind of, because many people, they're just focusing on one and then, you know, the cognitive side of, of things, it's very relevant, you know, when, we come, when it comes to practicality, right? Because many times people design, you know, learning that people are unable to relate to because they suffer from cognitive overload, even their slides, they're just putting stuff out that they're not even paying attention to multimedia effects, things like that. So I agree with you, it definitely makes a difference in our field. So. Wow, thank you for sharing that. In one of my uh, episodes, I think it's episode six of the Empowerment Minutes podcast, 
I talked about the top skills of, uh, for those instructional designers who are new to our field and those who are transitioning you know, in the field. But when, when I look at you know, the instructional design field right now, there are so many instructional designers, right? We've looked at those who are new in the field and now looking at those who have been in the field for a while, those who now uh, consider themselves as experienced or advanced instructional designers. What do you think you know, are some of the skills that experienced instructional designers need to stand out from the crowd? Well, I took some time to think about this and came up with a list of um, my top 10 skills that I think uh, any experienced uh, instructional designer needs to stand out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right, then. Uh, my first one is quick thinking. In my experience, instructional designers spend a lot of time in meetings with um, SMEs, project sponsors, or even just other members of your team. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're brainstorming, sometimes you're interviewing someone or learning about a problem, you absolutely need to be quick on your feet to ask those intelligent questions, yeah. get to the root of an issue, or bounce around a new idea. Being able to respond quickly and participate wherever the conversation goes is crucial to getting the information you need and to build connections. Totally, I agree. I mean, working with subject matter experts, that is really key. If you can't think on your feet, you can't, you know, ask those questions, then you're not going to be able to get the information that you want out of them to build what, you know, the learner needs. So definitely that's, that's, um, that's really a great skill to have. So the skills that you're going to talk about, the 10 skills, is it in a specific order? Um, is it like, is, is number one, like the best or, you know, you have them in any order? Any order. Okay, great. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead with the second one. Sure. Uh, my second skill is adaptability. Um, you can never predict where a project will go. Sometimes mm -hmm. you get rolling and find out that a project needs to stop or, or pivot in another direction. Mm -hmm. Someone once told me, always be prepared for a project to change dramatically about 40% of the way through. Mm -hmm. That can throw a lot of ideas off and for good reason. You may have already planned everything out in the analysis phase and making a change is uncomfortable. But new information is always a part of the process and you need to adapt in order to be effective. Totally, okay, right on. So what's the third one? Just keep going. Uh, my third one is political awareness. Our goal as instructional designers is always to produce the most effective and efficient learning. Mm -hmm. The SMEs or project sponsors might not always have the same goal in mind. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I was working with a project sponsor to teach a one hour class on a new technology that was rolling out. And there was just way too much information to get across in that time. She was really resistant to any of my suggestions to add more time or more sessions or to focus on building one or two key skills. We have a really good rapport. So eventually I just asked her, are we really trying to make sure that they know this stuff? Or do you just need to be able to say you covered these topics in this hour? Mm -hmm. And she honestly responded that she needs to be able to tell her boss that all of the items on her list have been trained. We just had different goals in mind. Wow. Uh, number four is open-mindedness. The only times I've really seen an instructional designer fail is when they couldn't keep an open mind. On one project, our boss asked all of the instructional designers to include narration and one of them seemed really hesitant. I, I remember offering to record any scripts for him, thinking that maybe he just didn't have a good recording setup or was uncomfortable recording. And he declined, 
saying that he personally didn't care for narration in his modules. It's just not his preference. He ended up refusing to include any audio and was asked to leave the project. Another time I was surprised to see an ID leave the team. And later I found out that they only believed in in-person training. And they took it really personally that I was adapting one of their old classes to be an online game. I had no idea at the time. It's important to keep an open mind and realize you're designing for a diverse population, not just yourself. You know, what you just shared is huge. It's huge because in our field, we've seen that all the time. You know, many instructional designers still design, making it about them, because that's really what just happened, right? If someone is saying, oh, they don't want to do any narration, they can only do face-to-face, blah, blah, blah. It means they're not really putting the learner, you know, at the forefront of the learning that they are designing. And that's, that's not good at all. So I really agree with you. We have to have an open mind and it's about the learner. You know, it's about, you know, making sure we're putting our best foot forward and giving them what they need so they can do better in their jobs. That's why they're taking the training. So we have to really, those who are not having an open mind, um, we have to really have a change of mind or, you know, have a growth mindset, I would say, you know, being more adaptable. That's that's really a good one. So thank you. Just go ahead. Uh, Number five is enthusiasm for learning. You never know what's coming next in instructional design. Maybe you'll have to learn about a topic you never considered, like an advanced physics class or how to fix an air conditioner. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a new technology came out, or or maybe you want to learn a new software you've never used. Every great instructional designer I've worked with has a similar philosophy. You Mm -hmm. don't have to know everything, but you have to be willing to learn. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, why should someone believe in what you're offering if you don't believe in it yourself, right? So, and and most often when you believe in something, you can tell from the passion that you're sharing about it. So if you don't have the enthusiasm, you know, you would not really be, people will not even believe what you're doing. You know, we have to, in every way possible, be champions, you know, evangelists of the training that we're offering. So Mm -hmm. um, these are golden nuggets. Then we have research skills. It's important to know what's going on outside of your own business. What are other companies doing? Are there any data out there that you can use to get to the root of your problem? Um, For instance, one project I was tasked with um, was on a new onboarding program for new hires. And along with the analysis I was doing internally, I heavily researched what other companies and onboarding experts were doing and recommending. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get stuck in your own bubble and a lot of key information is already out there if you know where to look. Yeah. Yep. Because I think, you know, especially in our field that is growing tremendously, you know, you're having these tools coming out today and this new upgrade in this tool, you have to just keep researching what's going on and be, you know, upskill. So I wouldn't agree even more on that. So yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, next up is organization. Mm-hmm. And there are really two important aspects to organization. First, you need to keep yourself organized. I keep a physical notebook where I keep all of my to-do items, goals, important events, and self-reflection on how I'm doing. Other successful IDs I know use apps or, or documents on their computer. It's important to keep track of all of your tasks, goals, and notes so that they're organized and easy to follow. 
Then the other aspect of organization is the organization of a project. Mm -hmm. I always think of any training as a story we're telling our learners mm -hmm. with a beginning, middle, and end. It's important to organize our training to best tell that story and then meet your objectives. Mm -hmm. One way I like to accomplish this is to create a goal analysis where every aspect of the training is on individual sticky notes. I'll write the instructional goal and each learning objective at the top of a whiteboard, and then I'll rearrange the sticky notes until everything is organized and easy to follow. Wow. I recently saw a post on LinkedIn. I can't remember who, uh, who kind of posted it about it, but it was really about, you know, how asking a question, how do other instructional designers organize their work, which is exactly what you just talked about, right? Even, you know, people were posting and saying, oh, I, I do this. And, you know, I have even some th things as simple as having a structure of folders where, you know, you have all your images in one folder, you have, you know, your, uh, your um, recording in another folder, having them organized in a way that you can easily find them you know, not mixing things up around. I have one time, you know, I took a training where the person did not even take the time to um, listen to the audio narration. They put a narration for another training in there and published it, right? So I'm sure they were like, everything that's in this folder, you know, we're just gonna go ahead and, you know, roll it. I mean, so embarrassing because it was out there in the public. So I can imagine how many other people have taken this training and got informed, you know, uh, it, it was just, it's just crazy. I mean, so, so you know, organization is really key to our work. Um, I know many people were also looking for so many uh, different options to have like digital organizers, ways that they can organize even their thoughts, organize, you know, uh, their work. So it's a great skill to have because, you know, we can easily get mixed up and I think, Many people, they, they, they have like, a, you know, you have to be very organized, even in your thinking, even in your life, to be able to have things structured in a particular way to be more productive. So I think organization definitely impacts productivity, because if you're having things disorganized, you're taking time away from, you know, focusing on your project, trying to figure things out. So that's a great skill to have. Okay, Absolutely. so yeah. what, number, what number are we on now? This is uh, we're on number eight. This is a great list. Wow. Okay, go ahead. Uh, number eight is know your instructional design theories inside and out. Um, so this one goes right along with adaptability. Mm -hmm. I've worked with some ideas that stick very rigidly to an instructional design model or, or the way that we learned in class. Mm -hmm. In reality, there's no one correct way to do things. If you know a variety of instructional design models, you can follow whichever one fits the project the best. And moreover, if you understand the theory inside and out, you can modify the approach to best fit your situation. I've had projects that started with a strong analysis phase, like with the Addy model, but then moved to more of an iterative model for design and development. By knowing your instructional design theories, you always have a plan to move forward, no matter the situation. Absolutely, because you know, it's interesting how some people think theories don't have a place you know you just need to know how to um just need to know how to you know slap a training from in, from uh using articulate or you know storyline whatever but people have to understand that if the theories they, they are the foundation the models they're the foundation so you know 
we can even mix and match them, just like you say. You can start off with Adi, you can, it can end up with Sam, you can, you know, it all depends on, on what you're working on. So knowing them inside out definitely makes a difference. And you're using them doesn't mean that you're designing training for academia. You know, you can use it for any every audience. You just need to know how to use them in your project. Wow. Absolutely. It's all about providing a blueprint that you can follow. So you always know what the next step is. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how many people kind of have this disconnect between theory. They think that's just for school or, or it just falls off the radar when they actually get into things. But they're around for a reason, right? Yes, absolutely. I have had that conversation so many times. Um, I don't know why, you know, some people feel, you know, there's no need for theory. There's no way we can wing it without really taking some time, you know, knowing the theory. Even if you don't want to go into get getting into a master's program or whatever, take time to understand the theories and how they relate to the training that we do provide is going to help you to, you know, really design something that is, is solid. Yeah, that's great. All right. So now we're up to number nine, um, which I have as confidence. It's important to keep in mind that as an instructional designer, you are an expert at knowing how to present information. Some IDs, especially when they're new in their careers, are very shy or apprehensive about stepping forward with new ideas or how to do something. Mm -hmm. You might be working with SMEs that have been doing this for years and years or important executives that are hard to say no to. And that can be intimidating. I, I mean, always read the room, but don't be afraid to speak up and join the conversation as you bring a unique view to any project. This confidence is something that we cannot emphasize enough when you, you know, when you're relating with subject matter experts, because they're probably going to find every way to shut you down. Even if you're going to, you know, meet your sister to, you know, tell them why they should buy into your project. Most often they already have a negative mindset. So if, you don't, if you're not confident, you're not gonna be able to sell the idea. You're not gonna be able to you know, go through what you wanna you know, what you, what you accomplish. So I really encourage people to really take confidence seriously. You are the expert and you have to believe in yourself enough so that it comes across that you know what you're doing. All right, so let's hear the last one. So this last one's a bit of a catch-all, but I call this um, become a jack of all trades. Graphic design, project management, videography, animation, and voice acting are all skills that I think of as adjacent to instructional design. Yeah. The more of these you can know and master, the more effective an instructional designer you can be. I know personally, this is an area I'm trying to grow in. There, there's always more to learn and technology is always moving forward. I totally agree. I mean, I think that's that should be the goal of each and every one of us, right? Because many organizations might not even have the opportunity or you know the the option to have a, a graphic designer on board. You know, you might be the person who's an individual contributor who has to do everything. So now, if you don't have you know the voiceover skills, you don't have the graphic design skills, you don't have this or the other skills. What's going to happen? You know that even you know makes you more marketable in your in your in your field or in your organization. So I definitely agree. You being the jack of all trades would definitely serve you well. So that's wonderful. And in all of these skills that you mentioned, you know, in a way, they still touch on project management, right? Because 
you know, project management, we all know what it is. You know, we're working as, as instructional designers, we're working on projects day in, day out. So um, all the skills that you mentioned, we still have to be good project managers to manage our projects so that, you know, we can succeed at the end of the day. That's a great list. Thank you so much, Melissa. Anyone who's looking for those skills to put your best foot forward, think of this list that Melissa just told us. You have to get all your ducks in a row. Make sure you're well-skilled and then you're going to be able to succeed as a senior or an experienced uh, instructional designer. So I also think that since our field is forever changing and we need to keep upskilling to stay relevant, there is an increasing need to be even more tech savvy. You know, I see uh, this in every day, you see XAPI, um, you have JavaScript, you have coding. They're all becoming increasingly demanding in our field. Even with Storyline, many instructional designers are writing XAPI statements from the Storyline courses. So what do you do to ensure your technical skills are up to date in our field? You know, it, it's a mix. Of course, you need to stay on top of any new technology and trends to see what's coming and what you might want to dive into. But you also need to practice these skills. Yeah. Whenever we do a new project, I, I try to take a step back and look at all the technology available to me, even if it's something I've never used before. If it's the right tool for the project, then I'll dive right in. So many IDs get stuck only using the tools they're comfortable with or feeling like they can't use a technology until they've mastered it on their own time. I found that uh, I found that you both stay up to date and produce more effective, interesting products if you keep an open mind. And it's incredible where that can take you. Like for one project, I ended up building a working I, mean, I, I ended up building a working miniature mechanical bull. I mean, who could wow. have seen that coming? <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I definitely agree with you. And, and you know that many people, they restrict themselves to what the organization provides. So for example, if your organization purchases, maybe articulate, you know, captivate, and then you say, okay, well, this is what they provide. And, and I'm just going to learn how to use these tools, right? But you have to step out of your comfort zone and even find, you know, the tools that you need to learn. And then you can even uh, sign up for a 30 days trial and learn how to use those tools. You don't necessarily have to wait for your organization to get it for you. You know, if you get a free 30 days trial, you can get, get opportunity to learn how to use it, to practice and even create something out of it that you can show your organization. Look at this great training or this job aid that I just you know created using this tool. And that might even excite them to get the other tool that you think can benefit your training. So we have to really think out of the box when it comes to these tools, we're not learning them for the sake of it, but as long as you know they apply to our training, they can add value to what we're working on, then we, we have you know the endless possibilities here. So it's a great idea for us to really think out of the box and uh, do all those things to stand out as senior instructional designers. So that's really one, nice, one of the nice things about our field. We kind of sort of become like little nerds, right? In a way to keep up on our technical skills or you know, the other skills that we need to uh, be great at what we do. So I just wanna thank you so much for sharing with us today, Melissa. This has been great, honestly. This, I, I mean, I, I think that's it. We should end this podcast right here. But actually we always wrap up the podcast with one signature question. What does empowerment mean to you as a learning expert? So yes, I'll ask you that question. Sure. Uh, 
I guess to me, it's all about empowering your learners to be the very best they can be. Our entire role as IDs is to help others get the knowledge, skills, and attitudes that they can use to succeed. Mm -hmm. If we're doing our jobs right, we empower everyone we work with. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on the show. And uh, it's really a great list you've provided us today. And I know other um, experienced instructional designers will definitely benefit from what you've shared with us today. So thank you so much. Uh, I am really excited about the other things that you're working on that in your in your during the day and over the weekend, <laughs> since you're such a busy, busy uh, person. So I just want to wish you the best in your personal and professional journey. Just keep up the good work. And uh, I'm so proud of what you're working on. Thank you so much. And uh, so this is the end of the podcast today. Thank you so much, our listeners, for tuning in. And we're going to see you in the next week. Thank you. Thanks. It's been wonderful.